Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and today it's going to be kind of a grab bag episode. I'm just back in town from New Orleans from a conference called FinCon, so I'll give you a little bit of a recap on that, and I'll probably record an episode with my friend Carl, who was unable to attend, but more on that later. I'll probably record a show with Carl for Mile High Fi, my other podcast with Carl, and we'll just catch up and I can tell him stories and that sort of thing. And I may actually publish it on this feed for the Doug show as well, because I think it could, it could be interesting. That show's pretty good too. Anyway, so I'll talk a little bit about FinCon and why I like in-person conferences. I'll give you some like behind the scenes of, well, it's just me talking about myself, to be honest with you, but it's some things that I did, some things that I was very intentional about while I was at the conference and in New Orleans for various reasons. And I'll also talk a little bit about networking and my approach or suggestions and observations from going to a live conference. And the other part, the grab bag portion of the episode, well, there's random shit already, but the grab bag portion is I'll have at least two, I think we'll just do two email questions, mailbag questions here that I got in the last few weeks or a couple months, or I don't remember the date. It could have been a really long time ago. That said, if you want to have your question featured, you could shoot me an email, feedback at doug.show. There's also a voicemail number. If you look at the show notes, you'll see both the email address and the voicemail number, the phone number for the voicemail. So anyway, if you want your question answered, usually what I do is I see the question come in. It takes me like a week or two to get back to emails or months or whatever. I, I always get back to people, but sometimes if they catch me the wrong week, it can take a little while. And I'll write an answer back, usually fairly brief, to the point, and then I'll note it so I can come back and record a podcast episode. Today, I actually wrote some notes so I don't ramble on too much. And one reason, I haven't recorded a solo episode in a little while. I've been doing interviews and some other stuff in... I don't remember the last solo episode that I published, but I haven't recorded a solo episode in a while. The funny thing is on the trip to New Orleans, a trip that I took out to uh, Breckenridge with Carl for a little writing retreat and other trips that I've taken. I was back in Atlanta for a while. I was in Bozeman. I was in some national parks, been traveling quite a bit. And I always bring my little recorder with me, my Zoom recorder. And in the past, I've made a pretty strong effort to do a recording. But here in the last few months, I'll bring the recorder and I don't record anything. And it's because I'm not putting as much pressure on myself to produce content, which is cool in, in one aspect because I am more in air quotes here, more in the moment. I'm paying attention to the things that I'm doing and I'm traveling to go see and experience things or visit people. And I'm not thinking, hey, what content should I create so I can record a podcast episode or a video or whatever? So it's been a, it's been sort of freeing and I'm less stressed out. 
which is good. I wasn't that stressed out before either. Very calm generally, but that's neither here nor there. All right, let's get into it. Let's talk about FinCon. So it was in New Orleans, and uh, this conference is held in the fall. It goes to different cities. This is the third one that I've been to. So I went to the first one after the pandemic in 2021. That was in Austin. It was an absolute blast. It was a little warm down there. I remember that. I don't I don't love the heat, and it was about 100 degrees for a couple of days while I was down there. And then last year was in Orlando, and it was a totally different kind of vibe. So in Austin, the the venue was pretty nice. We did have to walk from the hotel to the convention area, and that was ah, it was probably like half a mile or so. You had to go a pretty long distance to get to the other building, and then you had to walk a little bit to get to wherever you were going. In Orlando, I believe it was a Marriott, and it was a huge resort. They actually had a few pools, some water slides, which I love water slides, so we got to play play around uh, like kids, which was pretty fun. And they had everything sort of in the conference venue. So there were multiple restaurants. There was a, a pretty substantial bar in the hotel lobby. And you didn't have to really go outside. You you did have to walk like a mile and a half all indoors in this giant Marriott. But it was kind of cool to have everything right there. Now, the downside was, and I've heard this complaint, in Orlando, you really couldn't get anywhere very easily. It was kind of isolated from any anything like stores or shops or bars or whatever. So everyone was kind of like right there. New Orleans was kind of the opposite. So the hotel had all of the banquet halls and, and conference rooms that we needed. So everything was right there. Everyone could stay in the hotel or very close by. A lot of hotels, Airbnb options and stuff like that. But you could also just walk outside and we were a block from Bourbon Street, the French Quarter area. So you can go to you know hundreds of restaurants and dozens or hundreds of bars. And there was just plenty of stuff to get you out of the hotel and doing stuff and experiencing the city. So different vibe each time. And it was pretty interesting. Now, the first year in Austin, I was very excited. All my friends. All my friends were there and I I partied a lot. I partied a lot, which all this will come together in a second. So I partied quite a bit. It was really fun. You know, had a great time. Definitely drank too much. I definitely didn't get enough sleep. And as a result, when I, when I got back home, I, I got a cold and I got sick. I'm pretty sure I got COVID as well. Eventually, I lost my sense of smell and taste, which is one of the main signs, right? And my my friend also had uh, COVID as well. So anyway, the point the point is I had a really good time, but I paid for it later. And I was I had a cold slash sickness for a couple weeks afterwards. I think I eventually lost my voice as well. Again, all this is going to come together. So in person events are one of my favorite things. I 
didn't go to my first conference until 2017. That was four years after I got started working online. And the conference was okay. I think it was called the Converted Conference, if I remember right. So it was 2017. I went to Minneapolis and it was fine. I met a couple people. I didn't really keep in touch, but it wasn't, it wasn't as life-changing as I thought it could be because I, I heard in-person events are great, but it, it just wasn't my group of people really. Fast forward to 2021, I went to a few events. So one was a Camp Fi, and that's a financial independence retreat. It's about 50 people or so. And I went to that and I had a great time. It's a little more intimate. It's a little bit smaller, very relaxed, usually in a very peaceful retreat center. And it's not very structured So you have plenty of time to chat with your friends or make new friends, go outside, have some time alone, whatever you want to do. Camp Fies are, you know, really flexible for that. Much smaller, like I said. FinCons are typically, you know, a couple thousand people, a lot of people. There's no way you can meet everyone, in fact. So these in-person events are fantastic. I've noticed as I go to more and more events, especially the same ones like FinCon, you meet a lot of people and then you get to see them again the next year. A lot of people have gone to these events for you know several years in a row. So you get to like deepen the connection each time you see each other again. So it's, it's very cool, very cool. And this time, as I alluded to earlier, my uh, podcast co-host, Carl Jensen, from 1500days.com, he was unable to go. So his kids got sick, uh, had a cold and whatever. So he needed to stay home. In fact, they got a text when he was supposed to pick me up from the airport. And he was he was like, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to go. I think I need to stay home. I'll get back to you in a few minutes. And everything was fine. He let me know within like 30 minutes or something like that. So I drove to the airport. It was all good. But it was the first time that I went to FinCon without Carl. Now, we're two grown-ass men, so it's no big deal. But the thing is, like, he's been to, whatever, 10 FinCons in the past. He's been to a bunch of Camp Fives, but I haven't gone to very many events without him. Carl is a fixture in the financial independence community. He's been blogging for, like, a decade. He's been on... um, Good Morning America, like just this year, he was featured on uh, New York Times, a couple, he's had some big coverage. So people know him. He's a super nice guy. So a lot of people are friends with him. And he took me under his wing and introduced me to a bunch of new people in Austin. So I got a warm introduction, got to hang out with folks. And they, they welcome, I mean, they would welcome almost anyone if you're cool. And it's helpful if someone like Carl brings you in and introduces you to a group of folks and you could slowly, you know, build those relationships. So anyway, it was the first time without Carl. So it was a little bit different. And the thing is, I know like 50 or 60 people just by name, they, they see you in the hall, they stop, they're, they're chatting with you. And some people, not a huge number, but some people listen to the podcast, this one or Mile High Fi. So they kind of, they know me a little bit 
or maybe they have seen me on YouTube, but there's other folks that I've met virtually and then have been able to meet him in person, like Nick Loper. So I've seen him at the last few events. I think he always goes to FinCon. I always see Nick there. And then other other guests of the show, right? So I'm, I'm forgetting several, but one person that I met is uh, Spencer Haas. So I've known Spencer online for a decade. It's crazy. And we've, we've chatted for a few hours in various interviews and email each other once a year or something like that. You know, we'll reply back to each other via email list or something like that. But anyway, I've listened to hundreds of hours of his podcast too. So we got to meet in person, got to sit and chat, hang out, have a, have a beer or whatever. And really cool. And I met a lot of people on his team over at Link Whisper as well. And there, there's so many others. We do have an upcoming guest, uh, Jason, who he's been on a lot of live streams. So people may have... Uh, heard of him, but we have an interview that we did over at FinCon in the little video booth. So that'll be coming out, I think next episode. So keep, keep your ears open for that one. And the thing is in person is just, it's irreplaceable. The other thing is you are typically outside of your normal environment. You're at the hotel, you have to you know, go grab food, you have to get coffee, you have to do like sort of normal things. And while there are a ton of sessions, right, there's so many sessions, especially at a big event like FinCon, you have time to bond over a meal, you can chat, you can go for a walk, whatever, right? There's just normal stuff that you do. I saw people in the gym, I worked out, I did yoga with a friend and there's just there's so much time for you to actually spend more time with someone outside of the sessions. And the fact is, you know, the first year, I think, I don't think I went to any sessions except for the opening keynote and maybe like one other where I knew the presenter. And typically that's what I end up doing. I'm only going to one or two presentations or so. And the rest of the time, is just hanging out with uh, friends or making new friends. It's always in the conference hall, right? The the lobby or whatever, where you you make those most interesting connections because you're not going to be chatting through a presentation or anything like that. Now, if you're unable to attend some of these events, like some of them are across the world, for example, so you may not be able to carve out the time just because of the the time or the cost to get across the world. But there are virtual events, right? So those are good, but I don't think you get that time sitting or sharing a meal with someone in the same way, right? Because if you're doing a virtual event, you maybe have some chat interaction or something like that, but that is so surface level and it's kind of quick, right? You do the session, maybe you chat back and forth, and then you bounce, right? You you go do the normal stuff that you have going on in your life, at your house, at your office, whatever. So you don't really have that time to bond with people. 
so when you're in person, you have all this downtime where you, you know, you got to fill it and you end up making uh, better friendships and all that. I mean, it's hard to explain until you actually go. The other thing is you have, you have to find the right conference too. Like I said, I went to Converted back in 2017 and it was okay. And in fact, when I got home, I was like, I would not go to that conference again. I think they canceled it. Uh, there was a whole bunch of other stuff that that company shifted. Um, I can't remember who who sponsored it exactly. But anyway, the company shifted away from our space. So I think they stopped doing the conference and it was nothing. And I wouldn't go back anyway. But FinCon, highly recommended. Side note, I met uh, Denise back in Orlando, and she's been on the show a few times. I think we'll have an update coming out from her pretty soon, but she attended again, and I don't know if she's going to the next one, but the thing is you you meet people, and then you see them again the next year, and it's pretty cool because you, you, um, you have a foundation already, but the point is if you can attend a virtual conference, you might be able to form some bonds or, you know, hopefully you'll get to form some bonds and then you go to a in-person event and then you, you know them a little bit. So I will say there, there's a, a way to have those same kind of relationships, but Virtually, that is. There's a way to do this virtually, but you have to meet often. So I've had some good friends via mastermind groups. So we would meet every week for several months or a couple of years. And then you get to hear some stories. You get to know the person better and you end up with a stronger relationship. Okay. So that's my pitch for in-person stuff. I've emphasized it a lot in the past. So I'm going to move on from here so I don't continually repeat myself. Now, personally, this was a pretty fun event. You might remember if you're a, a longtime listener of the show that I landed a panel. And this was super cool. I may actually try to try to turn this into a you know good blog post or piece of content. But I was able to land a panel with A-list podcasters. Now, one wrinkle in the whole thing was two people that were supposed to be on the panel are Carl and Mindy Jensen. And Carl and Mindy both stayed home. So that kind of goofed up things. So there were five people total on the panel, four people on the panel, one moderator, and two of them were unable to attend. Now, the good thing is I have some friends at FinCon and Carl and Mindy have even more friends. So several people offered their support to fill in on that panel. I was able to get a, a really good person to fill in as the facilitator. And then I had other backups, but essentially we ended up doing the panel with three people. Still, the other two were A-listers and then I was the other one, right? And then the moderator, also A-lister. So pretty awesome. The story behind that, and I published a blog post, or sorry, a podcast episode about this in the past. I formulated the plan for the panel. I picked the people 
that I wanted to be on the panel and got their buy-in. They know me, right? I met them at different events, so they know me. And the other people on the panel were awesome A-listers. And I said, here's what I think we could talk about. And then I put together everything. I put together the pitch. I put together the title. I got feedback from the group. After I did the legwork, I, I just let them vote. Here's three options for the title. Here are three options for the points we want to cover. And went from there. So I made it very easy for them to participate. In the past, a couple years ago, someone that I know, I won't mention the person, of course, someone that I know was trying to put together a panel and they hopped on the phone with me. I was going to help talk through some of the points and they just dropped the ball. They, they didn't send out more information. They didn't tell us exactly what we needed to submit or what we were going to talk about or a title or anything like that. Very, uh, I don't, I don't, I'm, I don't want to be too derogatory, but it was very lazy. I think they wanted it to be more of a collaboration and then other people are very busy, right? Like it's wrangling folks for a phone call, kind of hard to get everything together. But if you show up with the options and say, Hey, let's just vote on this. It's much easier. So that's what I did. I came up with a, with a plan. I told them, here's how you submit it. I just submitted mine. It took me 10 minutes. You'll need a headshot image. You'll need a bio. You'll need something else, right? Here's what you submit for the title. Here's what you submit for the description. Super easy, copy and paste, except for their own bio. They were able to submit it. They let me know when they finished. So I knew everybody submitted how they were supposed to. So the other people that were on the panel, the facilitator that stepped in is uh, Jordan Grummet. And he does a podcast called Earn and Invest. He's also an author. He has a couple, he has a book that's published. And then he has one that's on the way. The other was Paula Pant. She's a podcaster. And she... Her, her show is Afford Anything. She was also on the Netflix special. I forget the name of it. It's, it was the money one that came out about a year ago. And then the other one is Andrew Gencola, who has been on the show a couple times. By the time this episode comes out, I will have published a, a recent show with him where we talk health and fitness. So again, those were A-list people. The other person that was supposed to be on there is Mindy Jensen. And she has, I think it's like a top 50 podcast, Bigger Pockets Money. So anyway, A-list people, we're going to talk podcasting. The crazy thing is the panel was on the very last day. It was on Saturday. I arrived on Wednesday. And... Again, long-time listeners know that I've lost my voice a couple times this year. And almost without fail, when I go to a conference, it's very loud. I talk too much. I drink too much. I stay up late. And I end up losing my voice. In fact, sometimes I'll have a really scratchy voice on like day two, right? You drink bourbon and stay up late and uh, don't get enough sleep. It's going to trash your voice. And then you're 
you're trying to talk over the noise in the hotel lobby bar and you're yelling at your friend or in Austin, there were, it was like live music or DJs or something. So just loud stuff because I was the lowest on the totem pole here for the panel. I was like, I need to be rested, be able to talk. I hope I did a good job and I can't lose my voice. So very important for me to be responsible. Don't drink too much. Go to bed early, get rest. Don't lose your fucking voice. So I can tell you, I did a great job. I didn't lose my voice. I got seven to eight hours of sleep each night. It wasn't, you know, as good a sleep as I get here back home, but everything was so much better when I'm rested. And the thing is like some of these other, like in Austin, for example, we would drink until uh, very, very early in the morning. And I can remember in Orlando, it would be like two and last call is coming around at the hotel lobby right? It's just a few steps to my room. And someone's like, do you want another bourbon? Ah, Which is a bad decision, you know, never have another bourbon at two or three in the morning. So I would sleep like three or four hours those days. Anyway, it was all good. I even worked out every day that I was there. It was amazing. So it changed the sort of conference experience overall. And it, you know, made me feel like I'm maturing and, and growing up now that I'm 44. The other side note with this sort of responsible approach that I am adopting for conferences now is um, I didn't gain any weight or overeat. So New Orleans is a food town. And in the last... I think six weeks or so, I've actually been counting calories. I've been tracking my macros to make sure I get enough protein each day. And I'm really focusing on like health and fitness, like in a very serious way. I mean, counting calories, like I'm tracking like everything that I eat, even when I'm going out to eat, I'm trying to log it the best as I can to be accurate. So anyway, I've been on a on a nice track to to lose weight, and as uh, so many of us know, when you go on vacation, it's very easy to just throw everything out the window and eat everything in sight. That's what I do anyway. Eat everything in sight. You get dessert. You just you go crazy. But I've had such great progress in the last few weeks that I didn't want to ruin it. Of course, you know I had um, some actually quite a lot of fried food, but my portions were much more manageable. All that to say, I didn't gain any weight and I feel good about it. It was really amazing. It was difficult at times, but really I'm I'm a little bit proud of myself to be able to go to New Orleans, kind of keep the alcohol under control and certainly keep the, the food consumption under control just amazing. When I look back to other years where I would just, I would eat like an animal. It was, was really disgusting. Anyway, it's all good. I made it around, uh, the, the corner here and I'm back home. Feel good. Didn't get sick. I got a little congested, uh, sinuses and stuff like that, but overall pretty good. Okay. So let's talk networking 
as well. As I mentioned before, I got a warm intro to many people from Carl. And then once you meet a handful of people and you hang out, it's all, it's good. I, I'm generally, uh, you could probably gather from all the drinking that I am talking about that I'm pretty fun, right? Hopefully I didn't disappoint uh, too many people. I met uh, Jamie, who's been on the podcast as well. And, um, you know, previously I talk a lot about drinking, but I didn't drink too much. I didn't party with Jamie too much. But um, the point is, I got the warm intro, so I didn't have to work too hard at networking. And really the thing is, I wasn't trying to network or I didn't have any agenda. A lot of times you go to a conference and people will ask you, hey, what do you want to get out of this conference? I was a little unsure how to answer that for a few years because I really wasn't, I was like, "Ah, I think I just want to hang out, meet some people, have a nice time. So now I'm confident in saying that because when people are like, oh, I want to make some connections so I can get some blog uh, guest posts or I want to meet people that I could be on their podcast, right? And that's a fine agenda to have for a conference. Hey, I have a goal and it helps guide you and you may have a business goal that you you are trying to achieve. But if you don't, I think that's okay. In certain conferences, people may frown upon that but I think a place like FinCon, they're like, ah, that's cool. You know, you you just want to hang out, have a good time. There's a lot of my friends that want to do the same thing. They may not even actively blog. They just have friends that go to these conferences all the time and we go and hang out. In fact, uh, yeah, a guy I know, he sold his blog like six months ago. So he's not actively blogging. He doesn't have a thing that he's working on or selling or anything like that. He just wants to hang out with his friends. And it's great to hang out with those folks. Other people, they just published a book. And they are literally trying to meet people with podcasts so that they can be on podcasts. And I think the big thing is to be cool. <laughs> Don't pitch right away. And I'm I'm thinking of a vendor that was there. I think they were selling like precious metals or something like that. And there's a lot of different people that go to a place like FinCon. There's all different kind of financial creators. But in the case of the people that I hang out with, they're kind of focused on financial independence. We have extremely low interest in precious metals at all. And it it was kind of a younger guy. I actually never even talked to him because I saw his precious metals shirt. And he, he would walk up to a group And then, hey, what's going on? Meet a couple people. And then he would start talking about his precious metals. I never talked to him because I saw him coming a mile away and I would just like leave the group. I just would turn around and that that was awful. Uh, People in, in the particular group I'm thinking of, we're just standing in the lobby. We're about to grab some food or something. We're just hanging out. And everyone was too polite to tell him to fuck off, to be honest with you. So they like listened to him chat and then he would like leave and come back again. And it was kind of, again, everyone was too polite. If I actually got roped in the group, I probably would have just said, Hey man, you can hang out, but we really don't want to hear your pitch. We're not interested. Is anyone interested in metals? No one's interested in metals. Like don't tell us about your work. We don't care about your work. Not to be rude, but he, 
to be honest, I shouldn't even preface with that. I mean, he was coming in and derailing our whole conversation. So not cool, not cool overall. So don't do that. Don't, don't be the precious metals guy that rolls in to a group of people and just tries to pitch. It's not going to work. And know your audience too, right? So he was sent there by his company and he had an outgoing personality. So he felt comfortable jumping into a conversation like that. But know your audience. And if he knew who uh, some of us were and what we're interested in, then he would realize hey, we're not interested in buying gold. Kind of a kind of a weird thing. And I would say, you know, just hang out. Just hang out and people will naturally start asking you about what you're doing. It won't be the first or even the second thing. We'll probably be chatting about something else. And if you get integrated into the right group, you'll have a great time and then business connections could potentially come in the future that way. I did get some pitches via email because I was a speaker. I was listed on there. So um, people could pretty easily find someone's email address if they're a speaker. Just search around. We have websites or whatever. So I got an email and it was nice enough. Hey, can I buy you some coffee? I'm curious about your business. And the thing is, the fact is, most of us could buy our own coffee, right? It's not, <laughs> it's not that interesting to me because I know uh, nothing's free, especially a, whatever, a $5 coffee that I could buy myself, right? So I didn't really care. The, the other thing is this company is a fine company, but I'm not interested in the product. I'm not going to switch from my current provider. So I just said, hey, I use Kajabi. I'm not going to switch over. Thanks for the coffee. Good luck, but I'm not a good fit for you. Don't waste your time. I was like, say hi in the hall, whatever. I don't, I don't care. Right. And it was fine. They thanked me and, uh, they said, Hey, stop by the booth. If you want to say hello, it was fine. The other one was in the, in the app for the conference. People were pitching like, Hey, I see you have a podcast. I would love to learn about your business or I'm interested in being on podcasts. I talk about this, I think I would be a great fit. So I would say those are pretty poor networking attempts and poor pitches. They go in right away. It might work sometimes, but the thing is, I know that those people would not be good guests for my show. Again, similar to the precious metals thing. So if you're going to take that approach, I would say you really need to look at your own existing network or people that you know and see if you can get a warm introduction. An intro will go much farther than a cold pitch. Cold pitches are rough. And the thing is, if someone will accept your cold pitch, there's a chance they're not a good fit. They they might be. They might be a good fit, but if they have if they have a good pipeline of guests or basically if they're doing a good job, they probably don't need you. So keep that in mind. And people could buy their own coffee, right? People could buy their own coffee. I don't know. I guess that can work, but I don't want people to pick my brain or they're like, hey, I'm curious about your business. I'm like, ah, you don't give a fuck about my business. I know you're just, you're trying to get something from me. Very jaded way to look at it. But when randos start hitting you up, 
in the DMs for the conference app, it's usually not because you look really interesting and cool. Now, the other side of that is like after the panel, some people came up and chatted with each of us that were on the panel and say, hey, I learned this or I learned that or I'm glad that you did the presentation or whatever. So that's totally fine. And you can you can start that conversation in the hall or whatever. And then you see people again later. And then maybe you, you can you know, pitch them to be on the show or whatever, right? But don't go in too strong. Don't go in too strong. And if people have tips for me, I mean, I, I either politely declined when someone asked me for something or I just ignored it, right? So sometimes I said, ah, it's probably not a good match. Other times, you know, once several of them started coming in, I was like, I'm not even... I mean, if they see that I'm not replying back, they obviously know they're not going to be on the podcast. So anyway, if you have any tips for me for saying no, uh, let me know. Or if you think I'm harsh, you can leave a comment over on YouTube as well. The final couple things here are the questions. So let me have a look at those. And we have a couple of them here. So number one, this one's from Scott, who emailed me a couple times. And he saw an interview with uh, Kyle Claver. And Kyle's been on the show a couple times. I need to have him on again here pretty soon. And he's also doing mentoring over at Otis Global. So I'll put a link for that as well. But here's what Scott says. He says, uh, Do you or anyone you know ever experience a, quote, sandbox period after repurposing or redesigning an age domain? If so, what's a rough timeline to start getting Google traffic again? So great question, Scott. Thanks for writing it in. I said, essentially, the answer is it depends, right? So I don't know the answer exactly, but here's what I replied back. Yes, I've heard of a, quote, new sandbox for aged or expired domains. I've literally never heard a consistent answer for how long it takes to get traffic again. I have heard sometimes you get traffic in a couple weeks. You buy the aged domain, you publish a lot of high quality content, and traffic starts coming right away. You start ranking within days, you start getting traffic within weeks. Other times I've heard people say it's been many months and they've been publishing consistently and they still don't see much traffic. Usually it's somewhere in between where it's a few weeks or a few months and they start getting a little traffic and then it grows pretty quickly. Overall, it's very inconsistent. Any results that I hear tend to be, you know, wildly varying. Generally, it seems to be, as you would hope, shorter than the normal sandbox period. Also, whether it's a new domain or an age domain, the more you publish in a short time seems to help you rank more quickly, get more traffic faster, and just generally like boost your site. The other thing to note, and I heard this from uh, Shauna Newman among others, but Shauna really sticks out, in saying that hyper-relevant links, so links from your niche, seem to help a lot versus if it's kind of a peripheral type link 
the really relevant links are going to help out quite a bit. So another case of the answer is it depends. And, you know, the, the better you do, the better the links are, the faster everything is going to happen. Next question is from Jossie. And Jossie says, I am getting certified as a project manager. So he's going for his PMP. And I wanted to know if, let's see. So he's, he wants to know a little details about how project management helps as entre- as an entrepreneur. So I, I mangled the question there, but basically he's like, ah, I'm getting my PMP. Did that help you as an entrepreneur? And if so, why? So overall, at the very beginning, I didn't think it was going to help very much. It was very corporate. There was a lot of structure with the PM office that I was in and they didn't allow for very much flexibility. Very, very regimented. However, after a couple of years and specifically seeing my peers that did not have a project management background, that didn't have an operations background or maybe very little corporate experience, it actually really helps a lot. It's not on the surface level with marketing It's not in the surface level with some of the obvious things with project management or with entrepreneurship. So especially in this sort of marketing world that most of the listeners are are interested in, it's it's not those specific things. Of course, there's different kind of PMs out there, but I was in the software and IT world. So the the biggest advantages were around developing processes creating templates and using templates, creating systems, and then overall organization, whether it's understanding how to run a project and the different moving pieces and dependencies, or just general operations. So I have a lot of entrepreneur friends that are extremely scattered. They they're unorganized and they tend to duplicate work all the time. And it could be them like recreating the wheel each time they need to post a job listing or maybe they're writing a new article and they haven't created a template for it. So they they just keep kind of recreating the wheel each time. Additionally, they often don't have roles and responsibilities for themselves or the roles on their team. They might be a, a solo operator at the time, but they'll start hiring people to help out. They'll outsource little tasks here and there, and hopefully they'll grow their team a little bit. And the thing is, if they don't know the roles and responsibilities for themselves or the team members, there's a high likelihood that two people will end up doing the same piece of work, thus duplicating the effort, or something is missed. So neither one of the people do the work. And you may think, ah, that's not going to happen. But if you get like three or four people on your team, it's very easy to talk past each other and then things get duplicated or dropped. And there's nothing worse than feeling like you've wasted your time by doing work that has already been done. So if you could figure out some of those operations and uh, sort of systems to make sure that doesn't happen, super helpful. And like I said, it's just roles and responsibilities. I was chatting, I think it was with um, it was Alex Cooper and or 
I can't remember who. Anyway, the point is a few folks are working together, right? A few people are working together. There's three people on the team and they literally have no roles or responsibilities. And they literally told stories of duplicating work or dropping work because they didn't know who was responsible for what. So quick example, when Carl and I decided to join forces and produce a podcast together, I was like, I know how to do all the podcasting workflow and you come over here and record and then I'll make sure it gets published. You don't have to think about any of the stuff that's over on that side of the black box. If you're interested, I could tell you about it, but you don't need to know. And then he's in charge of email. He's in charge of some of the other pieces like that. So there's a handful of things where we're never going to step on each other's toes because we decided in the beginning who was responsible for what. The other piece here is uh, templates, right? So templates and systems. And again, it goes back to sort of not recreating the wheel. And when you are looking at different entrance and exit points for your workflow, you may have little checkpoints so that you understand, hey, don't send this piece of content to the editor until we've edited, uh, we've reviewed it and made sure it's in the right kind of shape so that the editor could actually do their work and then don't send that on to the content manager to put images and links until the editor is finished, right? So just those little pieces to make sure that the right exit criteria is met for each part, each phase of your workflow. And a lot of it is just very, it's very simple and straightforward where you just, you write it down, get like a notepad or something like that, write it down, draw a picture of the whole system together and write a narrative of like what should happen. The problem is a lot of people let this live in their mind. So they think, oh yeah, I know how it's supposed to work. And it's really hard for us to hold all that info in our head and look at it in a way that allows us to identify issues. But when you write it out, you write the workflow out, you have a a swim lane diagram, and then you could even write like a narrative around it. Like if you had a job aid and you needed to tell someone, here's how it's going to work. You can't ask anyone any questions. Here is a workflow of what it should look like. And then here's a narrative of what should happen. They should match up and a person should be able to interpret that without asking questions. If they have questions, that's great. They could ask you, you could put in more detail, right? It gets better each time. But the point is a lot of times people are thinking, hey, I know how this is supposed to work in my head and they don't ever write it down. So they don't run into the issues until they actually try to do it. And then they realize they've made a mistake. People that have gone through this process before understand what I'm talking about, but I could picture my younger self years ago thinking, I'm pretty smart. I should be able to let that live in my mind. But well, as we get older, drink too much, stay up too late, you start forgetting stuff, you drop things and and all that kind of 
mess, right? The point being, write it out. It'll it'll really help you out. So as a project manager, you will have some very, very good operations skills. So you could be like a COO. You will have very good communication skills, typically. And a lot of what my old job was, was looking at a process, mapping it out, just like I said, writing a description of it. It's, it's almost like technical writing. It doesn't need to be it doesn't need to be very interesting. You don't have to hook someone, you know, you just have to say what's happening in as few words as possible and just move on, right? It doesn't have to have beautiful language in there. It just needs to communicate in a very simple way. You don't have to pull out your thesaurus. You just have to get the ideas out of your head. And just going through that exercise is huge. So as I was going through my corporate career, I had to do that all the time and make sure that whoever was reading it could understand. And they probably, I mean, I don't want them to ask me questions, right? Because if I, if you have a document that goes out to a hundred people and everyone has one question, I mean, you did a bad job, right? And I don't have time to answer a hundred questions. That's why you do the document. So anyway, PM skills are fantastic and it's pretty tough to get a PMP certification. The test is fairly difficult. There's a lot of prerequisite things that you have to do. So once you get it, go ahead and hang on to it. I've kept mine active and there is a, you know, a skill level associated with it, which I kind of discount, but I mean, over, over time, I've realized that it's quite valuable. So if you have a question out there, you can send it to me, feedback at doug.show, and keep an eye out for the episode with uh, Jason. We're going to talk keyword golden ratio in 2023, and we're going to talk about uh, SERP sonar as well. So keep your ears open for that. Like I said, I think it'll be next episode, and have a great day out there. We'll catch you on the next one.